Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Dave Foster. Uh, Dave, tell us a bit about yourself. Glenn, it's great to be here today. Well, I am a what is called a qualified intermediary for 1031 tax deferred exchanges. That is a process in the U.S. that investors go through when they want to sell investment property and replace that with new investment property, but don't want to have to pay the tax on the profits in between. When you use the 1031 process, you get to defer that tax into the new property, which is basically giving you the benefit of compound interest. You get to make money on the deferred tax as long as you continue that process. So I'm kind of like everybody's best friend once they get to know me. Yeah. (laughs) So for that, is it, is it state specific? Is it nationwide specific? Like, could we use you in any state or is it only for certain places? Yeah. 1031 section 1031, which is the tax code is actually federal tax code. So it applies in all 50 states and the territories of Guam, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, and if you can find them, the Northern Marianas Islands. Oh, so if you are now, what's interesting because I know we're speaking to a lot of Canadian citizens yeah. today as well. Yeah. When you're doing a 1031 exchange as a U.S. citizen, you can sell in any of those places we just talked about, and purchase in any of those places. When you are a foreign citizen investing you're limited your sale must be within the 50 u.s states and you can only purchase inside the 50 u.s states so you can sell in new york but you couldn't buy in st thomas you would have to buy in one of the 50 states people say why dave and i go i don't know it's tax it's the tax code (laughs) why doesn't puerto rico count I don't know. It's the tax code. It's all about lawyers and treaties, right? Yeah. Yeah. And everything's always a little bit different for us. <laughs> yeah. And the really interesting thing, folks from outside the U.S. will go, how come I've ever heard of this? Don't worry. Most U.S. citizens haven't either. Yeah. Even though it's been part of the tax code since 1920. Wow. I mean, it's one of the original parts of the U.S. tax code, but it wasn't user friendly until about 1996 when there was a huge tax case settled and all of a sudden it really became what we would call a deferred exchange. You can now sell your property. And then as a U.S. citizen, I got to keep couching it that way. As a U.S. citizen, you get to shop around for a period of 45 days and close on your new property within 180 days. And as long as you do that, you'll defer for a U.S. citizen, all tax on the profit and all depreciation recapture that would be due on that sale. The laws are significantly different. I was going to say, how does this differ for these citizens. Canadians? Yes. <laughs> exactly. And by the way, I think that I'm from Canada South. Okay. I live in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I swear <laughs> to gosh, there's maple leaves everywhere. There's even a hospital on my way downtown. It's a Canadian hospital. Even this year? (laughs) Is there still Canadians down there this year? (laughs) Oh, probably more than ever. And they're all spreading COVID. Oh. (laughs) 
they're all the spring break crowd, right? Oh, right. Yeah. You yeah. know what? Come on. I never met a Canadian who didn't have fun. <laughs> so why are they going to stop coming down having fun? <laughs> Got to enjoy life. So, yeah. Um, so where were we at? My goodness. We digressed. Oh, yeah. Canadian. What's the difference for Canadians? If Canadians want to do this, how does it differ? So any non-U.S. taxpaying citizen um, who is not actually a resident alien or more in the U.S. can do 1031 exchanges because any entity can do a 1031 exchange. Right. But the difference comes in how it is processed and handled. There's really two exceptions for the Canadian citizen who wants to defer taxes when they're selling and then buying property. If the sale is less than $300,000 and the buyer agrees to certify in writing that they will occupy as their primary residence, then the FERPTA withholding does not apply. Now, maybe we should even back up and say, well, what does that mean? Yeah. What's the FERPTA withholding? FERPTA is this lovely little gotcha that was put into place several years ago, and it is called the Foreign Investment in Real Property Tax Act. And really, it should have just been titled, I'm the U.S. government, and I see a lot of tax dollars I could get that are leaving the country, so I'm going to collect them. And so that's what they decided to do, was to institute a withholding, not a tax, but a withholding on the sales price of the property so that when the non-US citizen files a tax return, they will give back whatever is left and only pay the tax, but they have to file a tax return to get it back. Yep. So right off the bat, 15% of the sales price of the property is going to be withheld. Well, on a $300,000 sale, that's 45,000 bucks. Yeah. And that's not going to be available to you to buy new real estate until you file a tax return and get the money back. So it's against an incredible headache. If you're selling a property and it's less than $300,000 and the buyer certifies in writing that they're going to occupy it as their primary residence, FERPTA does not have to be withheld. Well, that's huge. But the problem with that is that the onus or the legal liability to collect FERPTA is actually on the buyer. So when the buyer certifies that, they're in effect accepting the liability of anything that goes wrong. And they could be on the hook for that $45,000. So more often than not, buyers in the US will not accept that even if they are gonna live in it. Yep. So we're stuck with option B, which is to do a 1031 exchange. Now, when a foreign national does a 1031 exchange, they have two options. They can either apply for and obtain what is called a certificate of non-withholding. That's an application to the IRS. It takes yeah, three to four months on the good side to get. Okay. But if they get that, then they can do a 1031 exchange with the regular timelines. The problem is who could plan that far ahead? Who can know the exact dollar amounts? 
And in this day and age of COVID, are we getting anything done in four months? So that's a real problem to go that route. So far and away, the vast, vast majority of our clients will take option B, which is to do a simultaneous 1031 exchange. And what that simply means is that instead of selling and then taking the 45-day period to shop around and the 180-day period to buy, they will have both their sale and their purchase lined up in advance so that they close within two or three days of each other. And the QI, the role that we play, can have both transactions documented at the same time and proceeds go directly from the sale to the purchase. If they can do that successfully, then they'll defer not only all of the tax if they ever file a return, but they'll also eliminate the withholding of the 15%. Okay, so if they're doing it just like seamlessly, do you still use the 1031 exchange company or is the title company just move it right straight across? You actually have, there's some very, very specific documentation yeah, and that has to be there. So you still have to do the 1031 process Okay, because you're right. A normal U.S. citizen who's doing that doesn't necessarily have to use a QI. Yeah. More often than not, they will because the title company doesn't want to accept liability. Yeah, because uh, it's it's all about who's holding the cash. I know you never want right. you never want it to come back to your hands, and I know that right. Way. Well, that's exactly right. And so, in the case of the FERPTA, what happens is that the 1031 intermediary actually acts as the buyer and in the middle. So we have to accept the liability for the withholding of FERPTA if it ever comes about. Okay. So in order to accept the liability, obviously that comes, that's part of the price of the exchange and what the title companies usually aren't willing to accept. Okay. So we're doing, basically the, the best way to make this work is a simultaneous exchange. We're doing it right at the exact same time. We're still using a 1031 exchange company and that makes it all good on the American side. Do you know anything about how CRA looks at all this or Canada Revenue? I know that it's not nearly as favorable. <laughs> There's actually, and again, I, I'm not even speaking to specifics at all. Yeah. But you definitely want to have good representation from a, what are they called, charters? Okay. It's a, the chartered accountant yep. on the Canadian side. Because there are some gotchas on the, particular Canadian tax. This is only going to defer the U.S. tax. And so many times there actually is a good reason to do some calculations at a time okay. to see if it might in fact be better to let FERP to be withheld, which may reduce the impact of the taxability on the Canadian side, even though you're going to end up paying some U.S. tax. We just went right above my pay grade. <laughs> no, no, it's and good to know. I'm going to I'm going to tackle this from the other side too. I'll have to get a Canadian CPA on to talk about the Canada revenue part. Um Absolutely because it's not just as simple as the US side. Yeah, there's two there sides. We're always dealing side. with two tax codes, two everything. Um okay. So we got we know how to do it now on the American side. Um we kind of jumped right into it. Maybe we talk about um 
how a 1031 exchange exactly works. I know we've talked about the 45 days, uh, but for us as Canadians, we're not even, that doesn't even matter, right? We're looking at simultaneous closes. Right, exactly. So that eliminates all the timeline stuff. But there are some requirements that are still going to be there for you. Okay. Um, the first of which is that as of 2018 now, this is only for actual real estate. So prior to that, you could actually exchange personal property as well. So things like heavy equipment and airplanes and things like that. Yeah. But it's only for investment real estate. Now, the nice thing is that it, the threshold to show that it's investment for a foreign national is very low. Because you can't live there. It can't be your primary residence. So why did I buy a property in the U.S.? As an investment. <laughs> Does it matter that I am using it some of the time yeah. during the year for personal use? Absolutely not. So we have a ton of foreign nationals that own real estate yeah. that do 1031s regularly. And what they do is it's, it's investment property that just happens to be on a nice beach. So they get some personal use and it's used for investment. And that mixed use, I mean, really, that's that's kind of a holy grail of investing, isn't it? That's you the sexy the spot. Of both worlds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it does have to be investment real estate, but it can be real estate that you use some for personal use. Now, one other requirement that actually is an opportunity for the Canadian citizen is that the taxpayer for the old property has to be the same as the taxpayer for the new property. So if, you know, Glenn, if you owned a, a beachfront property yeah. here in St. Pete, um, so that you could be close to your emergency room yep. in Margo, that's dedicated to you. <laughs> what's going to happen if like cut off my leg and I try to go there? Are they going to say, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, but I can't treat you because you're not Canadian? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I didn't I even know there was a Canadian hospital down there. <laughs> so, but let's say that you own this property in your name. Yeah. You want to do a 1031 exchange. We would have to do the simultaneous exchange and title would need to be in your personal name on the replacement property. So I mean, that's all pretty straightforward. It makes sense. Yeah. Here's the opportunity. Any tax paying entity can do a 1031 exchange. So one thing Again, just speaking from the U.S. side, yeah. one thing that a lot of our investors will do is to set up a domestic U.S. holding entities that will take title to the property. They will set up a U.S.-based LLC, limited liability company. That limited liability company is a tax-paying entity. It can be owned by foreign citizens, but it itself is a tax-paying entity. Yeah. Think about someone like, well, a big example would be like Microsoft. Yeah, That's yeah. a U.S. company that non-U.S. citizens can own. Yes. Part of. The LLC is the same way. The LLC can be owned but the, by individuals that are not U.S. citizens, but the LLC is a U.S. company. So yeah. when that company sells and wants to do a 1031 exchange, it's a domestic company, so it does not have FERPT issues. It can simply sell, take the 45 and 180 days, and buy the new property. 
Okay. And the members of the LLC are simply part of that. So if, you're, if you've got the runway ahead of time and the foresight, and if it makes sense financially and tax-wise on both yep. sides of the border, to do that, you can create a situation very easily where that LLC is going to be selling and buying property for decades, never pay a penny in tax, never have a firm issue, and yet Canadian citizens are the owners all the way through. Yeah, I actually encourage that for everybody. I I I buy almost everything in uh, LPs or LLCs because uh, just for some extra nice little wall of protection in there. Well, sure, and there is that as well. Yeah, and then for you, of course, regardless of what you're doing, when those LLCs sell the real estate, you get ten thirty one using the regular timelines. So regular you... timelines is we have forty. So we have forty five days from selling a property to have a new property identified, right? Correct. You don't have to be under contract, but it's just an instrument of writing that says, these are the properties I'm thinking about. The problem is- How many I'm properties, being... sorry, how many do I, can I, do I put a whole list on or is there uh, a certain it's number? possible. <laughs> this is where the IRS gitches you. Yeah. It gitches, gitch, it's a gotcha. There you gotcha. go. Yeah. Because they, they don't control the actual number of properties you purchase but they do control how you identify them. So if you identify three or fewer, it doesn't matter how much they're worth. So you could sell a property for $100,000 yeah. and identify three $5 million properties. That's perfectly fine. Of course, after day 45, all you can close on are one of those three properties. Yeah. But perfectly fine. If you want to identify more than three and this is something that a lot of investors are starting to take advantage of because they'll have a highly appreciated piece of property maybe four hundred thousand yeah. dollars that they want to diversify into several smaller properties you can name more than four more than three i'm sorry as long as their total value doesn't exceed 200% of what you sold. So if you sold for 400,000, you could name eight $100,000 properties. Wait, no, it has, but doesn't your new property have to be more expensive than the one you're selling? That's a totally different rule. Oh. All we're talking about, I know, see, <laughs> it's never gonna be easy. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I exist. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That, that's, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's talk about reinvestment okay, requirements right. in a Sorry. second. I'm jumping. This is just identifying your potential replacements. You could name eight $100,000 properties because that is no more than 200% of the $400,000 property you sold. Okay, so you blew my mind a little bit there. I didn't realize you could buy like multiple properties. I thought it had to be like a one for one. Oh my goodness. I just opened a whole <laughs> yeah. Pandora's box. So I could I? I could sell I could so I could buy something cheap, fix it up, it's worth like two hundred thousand and I could exchange it for like three seventy five thousand dollar properties because it's more expensive yeah. than two hundred thousand dollar. Think about how that works with your ROI per square foot. Yeah. You could maybe rent a hundred thousand dollar property for a thousand bucks a yeah. month. But a 
$200,000 property, you can only rent for 1800 Yeah. Well, why would you do that when you could buy $200,000 properties and generate $200,000? And so that is what is called a diversification exchange. You sell one property and purchase multiple properties. Is there and a minimum value? As, what's that? Is there a minimum value? Like, could I go buy a whole pile of $20,000 properties? Is there like a minimum? That's where the identification rules get you. Okay, right. You can name 16, okay. I think, $50,000 properties on a $400,000 sale. Now, 50000 is that because of the math or is 50000 the bottom limit? No, that's just because of the math. Okay. Because right. the math is on the value of what you sold. Yeah. Yeah. So here's where that works both ways. Remember the three property rule? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because someone may be saying, I'm going to take three or four hundred thousand dollar properties and I want to use them as a down payment to buy a large multifamily. Mm -hmm. So what they would do is they would only want to name two or three replacements because the value of that one replacement is going to be so high. And what they'll do is they'll sell those three and consolidate them into the one bigger property. Now that's an awesome way to get scales of economy and multifamily. It's an awesome way to simplify life, to give yourself something that's more easily manageable. Yeah. But you could also go the opposite direction which is what we were just talking about. Sell one, buy two. Yeah. Then sell those two and buy two more each. And then do that over and over again. And then you know what happens? You wake up one day and you're tired because you just realized these are like coat hangers in a closet. I've got all these properties, what am I gonna do? You're going to start to consolidate. Do the opposite, yeah. And that's what I love to call the life cycle of a real estate investor. It ebbs, love it, it flows. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do it without paying a penny in tax your entire life. <laughs> How awesome is that? That's awesome. So if we're going to do this, like, so I have some properties I'm going to sell. I guess first step, talk to a Canadian CPA, make sure that someone who's a superstar on U.S. Uh, 1031 taxes, um, and then talk to Dave and st make sure you're getting your ducks in a row so that when you, you can line up these closing dates for the same time, ideally, which could be really tricky if there's like nine properties involved, one you're selling, eight you're buying, or, or however the numbers work, right? Right. <laughs> but try to line oh up gosh. all these dates. Imagine that simultaneous exchange. We do oh. have yeah. Yes. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, you make a great point. As much foreign investment as is happening now in the United States, there's actually been the rise of a new specialist who is an international tax specialist accounting firm. And that's all they deal with is tax returns and tax issues for foreign nationals. And so we work with tons of them all around because that's a big deal as the qi for the 1031 we are restricted to only doing the 1031 so all these other professionals are very important to have on your team 
Okay. So say we want to do this. Um, would you, would, should we call you to get some referrals? Would that be the best way to go? Oh, absolutely. Happy to do so. Okay. Sure. Okay. And we can talk through the process because part of it is your Canadian accountant needs to know what your U.S. gain situation is going to be. Yes. So you can talk to your CPA in the U.S. side. We've got some calculators that we put on our website, and I can walk people through a very easy calculations to get a good idea so you can go back to your chartered accountant and say here's what i'll have to pay on the u.s side tell me what the best course to do is now yeah given what i'm going to have on, on my side yeah absolutely this so is great the earlier you're involved the earlier you involve your team and the more you involve on your team the better your experience is going to be absolutely <laughs> I think we're going to have to talk after this. I have, I have a bunch of flips hitting the market. <laughs> now, let's let's turn our attention because I, I didn't forget this to the reinvestment requirement because I just blew your whole mind. Yeah. With I can sell one and buy multiples. Absolutely. If you want to defer all tax, it does not matter how many properties, whether you're selling more, buying fewer, selling fewer, and buying more. If you want to defer all tax, you've got to do two things. Okay. First, you have to purchase at least as much as your net sale. Okay. Now that's the contract price minus closing costs and commissions. Secondly, you have to use all of the proceeds from the sale. Now, for a non-US taxpayer, that's usually fairly easy because there's rarely financing involved. So your net cash and net proceeds are the same amount. But if there is a mortgage, you take the net sale and you subtract your mortgage. So let's say we had a $300,000 sale, $320,000 sale. Yeah. And there were $20,000 in closing costs and commissions. Okay. My net sale, $300,000. That's how much I have to buy if I want to do for all tax. Now, there was a $100,000 mortgage. Okay. Yep. So that gets paid off. So into my exchange account went $200,000. Yes. So my responsibility to defer all tax is to buy at least $300,000 in property using all $200,000 in proceeds. So you can get a new loan. You can bring in cash of your own. You can get an owner to carry financing. Yep. It doesn't matter. As long as you do those two things, you will completely defer all tax. Now, here once again is one of those gotchas for the foreign investor. If you want to take some cash out, or if you want to purchase less in total than you sold, as a U.S. citizen or a U.S. entity, you can do that. You simply pay tax, tax on, the on the difference. As a, when you're doing a FERPTA exchange, no option. What is it? There's my way or the highway, and there is no highway option. It's Uncle Sam's way. You have to do a full exchange, or the QI has to also withhold the full amount of FERPTA. But you can get around that if you're using your LP or LLC, right? Exactly. Yes, that's exactly correct. Okay. All right.
But if you're not, you have my mind wrapped around it. Let's think about that example where we talked about naming eight $100,000 properties on a $400,000 sale. All you would have to do to completely defer all tax, you should have to close on all eight of them, right? Yep. So it doesn't matter how many properties, as long as you closed on that amount in total. Well, technically, if it was a four hundred thousand dollar properties, if you as long as you closed on four, five of eight, or four, four and a four bit of eight. eight, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Da, da, da. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Okay. A lot of math we're doing without any pieces of paper. And I'm the one accountant in the world that's bad at math. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just whipping it out. We're just having a conversation. So you, no, you, miss, exactly you right. miss the numbers. And that's how that identification list yeah. can really work for you because you've got some backup software in case. Yeah. But you've got to keep it below that 200% value. <laughs> My daughter just walked in. Come on, let's say hi to her. What's her name? Ella. Come on. Ella. Oh, she's beautiful. She looks, I'm sure, exactly like her mom. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I would bring my border collie in, but I think she just tried to eat the microphone. <laughs> so, Dave, I think we got a lot here. Um, tell us about your company and tell us how we contact you to, to do all this. Yeah, exactly. So we have been in the QI business for more than 20 years now, which makes us experienced, but I think more importantly, it makes us old. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, you get the benefit of you get the benefit of experience. If you gotta grow old, at least get some experience out of it. So this is all we do, is 1031 exchanges all over the country, all over the world. The best place to get hold of me is at the1031investor.com. And like I said, we've got some great calculators there. Yep. We do have some further explanations of the FERPTA issue yep. in a series of YouTube videos. I think the last count we had like 34, 35 videos yep. that break all of these requirements down to where they're easy to use. And that's exactly where you can contact me is through the 1031investor.com. Easiest way to do it. That's great. Um, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I'm going to get a CPA, a Canadian CPA, or maybe I'm going to get one, you'd refer to me one, or I might actually talk to Elliot, who's been on my show a few times too, see if what he knows on it, do a combination, and then uh, I think we, uh, if it works out and everybody's happy, I think we might be uh, doing some business. Thanks, thanks so much for coming on the show, Dave. I really appreciate it. Great chat with you.